Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kinney, and joined by Spence Halford. Good morning. Good morning. Or evening. Or, or evening. Or, y'all don't even know when we're recording this. <laughs> we can right. say whatever we want to. That's right. Uh, man, I know we say this every single time, but yeah. this is a really cool episode. Um, we've got my grandfather on the show today, who's 90 years old. Wow. His name is Burl. B-E-R-L, which is a very unique name. It's one of the coolest names I've heard in a minute, by the way. Burl um, Bartley Gary is his name. And uh, he goes by Burl, uh, or to us, he goes by Pop. Mm. And um, he is just really a cool guy. My grandfather has been an incredibly successful businessman in a really difficult um, field. Like, Mm -hmm. he's never made... He's never done anything that just was like explosive or um, viral or it, nothing was easy. Right. Long, Consistency hard, over the tedious, years. consistent work. Yeah. He has made his living um, selling furniture in a really rough part of North Memphis and the kind of in the Jackson Avenue in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, um, you know, he carried people's he's been carrying financing on people's furniture for sixty some odd years. I mean, just a long time. His he, he assembled a group of people that started Memphis Consumer Credit, which for, then became yeah. Equifax. Um, just so that they could finance people's furniture. I mean, he's done some cool stuff in his life, but he's never he's never done anything like built a development that made him a hundred million dollars. In you know one I mean? shot. Just, yeah, yeah. And I've always really respected that about Pop because he gets up and goes to work every day mm. early and, and works hard. Does works he still work? And, oh, yeah. He doesn't go to the store every day. That's what our family calls it, the store. But uh, he still manages the um, the employee uh, pension – not pension plan, but uh, they've got a, a like profit-sharing plan. Sure. And, um, and, and so they manage that and – he manages that. He still files all the taxes. It's a That's C-Corp. incredible. I mean, it, it's super cool, and it's a family-run business. My uncle is now the president who's going to be on this. His name is Bart. Mm-hmm. My Aunt Leslie, she works there. Um, all of Bart's kids, all of us, just at some point or another, have helped out at the store. And My grandmother worked there every day until she passed a couple of years ago. And uh, Anyways, it's knocking on the door of a 100-year-old business, which is just, to me, crazy to think about the longevity of that and um you know it's provided a really good life for them yeah but but it's been because they've been very prudent with you know their finances and kind of you know had to squeeze blood out of a turnip you know to Mm -hmm. to make it work sometimes and so one of the things you're going to hear in this episode is terrible audio (laughs) lots of stuttering pop's mind is starting to slip um, my grandmother died two years ago, right at the beginning of COVID, right before COVID was really a thing. It was mm. around Christmas time, 2019. Um, actually I think it was Thanksgiving week, 2019, which was a tremendous blessing because she, she had a lot of lung problems. And so COVID would have just mortified her. She'd have been really scared yeah. and it would have been a really cruel way to die, you know, in, in her condition. So, um, anyways, all that being said. Um, it's, there's so much about this story that's intertwined in family and legacy and thinking about the future Mm -hmm. that, that I want to ask our listeners to just cut, 
us a little slack on the audio and the, there's some awkward pauses and there's some places where Pop just tells some facts wrong. I mean, he talked about at one point, I think he talked about building, uh, about great granddaddy Gary dying in 1940 while I was eight years old. You know, it's like, yeah, there's yeah. a few little things like that that just, you know, realize that we're dealing with uh, a very, very sharp man who's, mm-hmm. who's very aged and, um, and but it's still pretty cool. And so where I was going with that about family stuff is I've always, always admired the fact that Pop has made sacrifices at every stage in the game to do what's best for his family. And um, he's going to talk about that with his job with IBM, but he's also going to talk about that at a couple points when he bought farms or farmland or this membership at Jackson Point when – you know, he could have done that. He could have, you know, he probably could have afforded it, but it was a real stretch. Mm-hmm. And I've watched my dad do the same thing. Um, and I'd love to find a piece that I could try to do the same thing yeah. with, you know. But it, it's a it's a real, I think for all of us listeners, especially those of us that like to hunt, it's a real inspiring story to just think about the fact that what, what we leave behind is not just what's right in front of us and what we do today, you mm-hmm. know, but what we do today affects what is left behind, you know, tomorrow. And, um, and, and, and what, what sacrifices you make today have everything to do with your ability to affect the next generation. And Brooks Tinsley said something to me the other day that really has stuck with me that being a parent is like the single most influential opportunity you have in the world Mm -hmm. like you can raise the next fill in the blank fred smith you can raise the next you know um what's the guy who started facebook or the or or jeff bezos or i mean you you know or or you can raise the next uh billy graham or you can raise you know i mean the the child that you raise the family that you raise can change the world Mm -hmm. in in ways that we can't even imagine and so Sometimes I think as parents, we, you know, I know you're there. Yeah. And Jason's there where you're just kind of like, okay, just make it to tomorrow morning. Like, just want to see the sun come up and sleep for a few minutes sometimes. Um, yeah. I'm not there anymore. I'm in the just hope. I understand what Walker Hayes meant when he said just trying to keep my daughters off the pole, you know. I mean, fortunately, mine are wonderful. But it at different points in, in mm. raising kids, you think about different things. Right. And we rarely think about the magnitude of what we're doing mm-hmm. in the moment. Right. We almost at you're every so in the state, details. Yeah, you don't every, take a step back exactly. and realize the potentially generational ramifications. Exactly. That's thank you for helping yeah. me clarify that. At every stage in the game, we're doing something that's monumental in the grand scheme of things, but the magnitude of the situation just makes us feel like we're just trying to survive. You mm-hmm. know. Um, and and so all that being said, I think it's super cool that all throughout Pop's life, he's done things that promoted the opportunity for us as a family to be together. And on the back end, you know, if you look back at his life, it kind of looks like he's just an old rich guy. But it was never like that. And mm. and he's not that now. Mm. It's just that he made intentional sacrifices to set him to put himself in positions to do fun things with his family. And that you know, a lot of those things, actually recreational things, just turned into good investments. You know, he bought a little shack at Pickwick when before I was born, when my right. when my mother was in college or, or yeah. just out of college. Before Pickwick just was Just so a... they could go 
you know, water skiing. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't buy that because he was a rich guy who needed a, a weekend getaway place, you know. He bought 15 acres on the front of the, on the waterfront, like, you know, for, for really cheap, actually, from Charlie Sibley's parents. Oh, really? The, the guy, we're, weave the, the guy yeah, we're about to talk about, you know, and so. Well, it's amazing how the Lord, I don't mean to cut you off, but how the Lord just um, takes and blesses your decisions at times beyond both what you deserve and what you ever saw possible. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you're right. And and I I, I I bring all that back to just say that, you know, how you make big decisions in life ought to be guided by principles and priorities that you set in your life. They're they're almost reflective of of your priorities, you know. And that's a very different, you know, if if family is important and legacy is important and creating a an atmosphere where you can pass on mm-hmm. you know good values, good wholesome, you know, your faith, your all those things. If you if you're tr- intentionally trying to create an environment where you can pass those things on, that looks a little different than if you're always trying to find some way to make the next million dollars or make, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I, I, I'm not saying that, that one's necessarily right and one's necessarily wrong. But as I look back at pop's life, it's, I, I have great admiration for the fact that he bought a lake house so he could spend time with his family, not so that he could develop 15 acres of lakefront mm-hmm. property. He bought mm-hmm. a hunting club, which those hunting club memberships now, memberships now are trading for two and $300,000, you know, bought a hunting club membership so that he had a quality place to take his son and his grandsons hunting and fishing, not so that it was a, a giant investment. You know, he sure. walked away from a lucrative career at IBM so that he could be in the same city with his his parents and his in-laws, not not because he was coming home to some trust fund that, you That's know, right. I mean, That's it right. just printed money. So um, he, he took the hard path a lot of times in life, and as he says in this um podcast he worked his balls off (laughs) which is hilarious by the way I texted my mother that line and she was like oh my gosh I'm mortified I didn't see that coming (laughs) at all he said that and anyway you'll you'll hear it you'll hear our surprise as well but fantastic this is uh you know as we kind of continue the the story on Jackson Point Mm -hmm. you know we were kind of talking off air that it's so cool how what kind of started as this mutual connection between you and Dudley Mm -hmm. the more that we've kind of tease back the layers, we've kind of realized that not only is this there's this overriding story about yep. working hard and making choices that matter for your family, yep. but there's also this sense of which, like, turkey hunters probably need to pay attention to this story because yeah. all the stuff with the diaphragm calls and how that's kind of come together, and we'll go into that more, and, too. And, I mean, we're literally talking about one of the two or three places in the country through the late 50s, yeah. 60s, and 70s where turkeys existed. I mean, yeah. we're talking about... I mean, this is like South Alabama Choctaw Bluff stuff and St. George's Island. I mean, this is yeah, this yeah. is and working on rich history, <laughs> early early deer management programs oh, and yeah. those sorts of things. So, yep. you know, yep. it's funny how some of these things we look at. I guess they call it chronological snobbery, but it's that that sense of like when you think of wh- whatever you're doing now is the most advanced it's yeah. been. Yeah. When you it's it's refreshing to take a step back and go. Nothing's new. People have been sun. thinking about this for a long time, and yep. we are joining in and taking part in that fellowship of preserving and conservation yep. and, and taking part in the next yeah, wave. Yeah, and, and you know, as Toxie always says, it's not about what you take, it's about what you leave, mm. you know, and that's a good word. We need to be reminded of that. I agree. I can't say anything more to it. <laughs> All right, well, hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. Get up. 
Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode is brought to you by Mossy Oak. Because everything is better in Bottomland. Kent Cartridge. Quality matters. Performance counts. Shen Gear. Waterfowl gear that is built better. And Benelli USA. Dominate the skies. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Today, I get to be your host. That's right. I'm Spence Halford, and I'm joined by Rob Kinney, my friend, and a couple of very special family members. My grandfather, Pop, <laughs> <laughs> whose formal name is Burl Gary, and my uncle Bart. Um, you guys want to say anything to the world? Just a hello? Hello. <laughs> Glad to be here. It's always fun to talk about Jackson Point. Yeah, yeah. So today, we've got a really cool episode. We've been kind of digging into... Um, an old hunting club called Jackson point that, um, in my lifetime has kind of been very formative from the very beginning. I mean, my earliest memories, I think mom sent me a picture from about 1986 of Holly and I on the, on the beach of the river right there at Jackson point. Best I can tell that's about when that's pretty soon after you bought into Jackson point. Mm -hmm. Um, and Bobo's in those pictures, and, I mean, there's some really cool family memories there. But um, that's the first place I can remember squirrel hunting, fishing, hmm. uh, deer hunting. I mean, well, I guess the first deer I killed was at Jackson but yeah. in Tennessee, but uh, that's a, it's a pretty cool spot. It's awesome. And, uh, Pop, I made a connection with a guy named Dudley Phelps who works for Mossy Oak. Um, he actually – manages the tree division they grow um oak trees of all different kinds and he's a forester and he um showed me some pictures of a place he grew up hunting called jackson point and wow. i said no way wow <laughs> and we got to talking about it and dudley's father um was a part of the original lease group that leased from the uh i guess the timber company that that owned chicago the chicago bridge and iron or whatever it was yeah. okay and and they were friends with like Johnny Vault and um I can't even I don't know all the rest of the names, but apparently your friends bought the the island from uh this timber company. Is that right. is that the way you recall it? That's correct. What tell me the story of how that initially what well really what was your connection to all of it? Charlie? Well, I've had a, a friend, Charlie Sibley, who, who uh, was from Memphis and so forth, uh, and a uh, big hunter, uh, and he was interested in, in, in a group of seven people at, uh, at, at, at Helena. Mm-hmm. Harden Point. Uh, and they got interested in, in, in buying this from the timber company all mm -hmm. up and down the mississippi river at that time uh timber companies owned a lot of that uh, area mm -hmm. and they were gradually selling off some of it and this group uh, uh got together seven people and they bought uh, this this uh, 
share of land down there from the timber company, uh, seven men in Helena. And uh, from there, well, Jackson Point, uh, as we know it today, started. Mm-hmm. And it, so it ahead. was actually a combination of, of two clubs. There was Island 64, which was Arkansas land, and then there was Jackson Point, which was separated from Mississippi by originally by the river going back to many years ago. It was mm-hmm. a big oxbow in the Mississippi River. So you had two different hunting clubs there. And um, um, you go through Island 64 to get to Jackson Point. I got you. But now the the, the – so Ham, so Ham Lake is what separates the Arkansas side. That's right. And that's the right. The state line runs kind of down Ham Lake and then comes around and on the south end, uh, Melwood. Yeah. And originally the river flowed around there, and way back in the day, so I understand, is the Corps engineers uh, dynamited this or whatever they do mm-hmm. to straighten the river mm-hmm. for river traffic, and so that. This land is actually Mississippi property. Uh, Island 64 up here was actually Arkansas. So you, that, that kind of what you're looking at there is the, the, mm-hmm. where the old river flow, mm-hmm. flowed uh, through Mark Ham Lake around Melwood and then came out on the south end. And Mark Ham was part of that, the group, I think, that, yeah. that Dudley Phelps mm-hmm. dad was, was talking about was, yeah. uh, a member of. Um, so. How did how do you know Charlie? Give, give me the story on on Charlie. Well, Charlie Sibley, uh, a great guy, no longer with us, but uh, because of death. But uh, he came back. He he. Charlie came back from from the army in the Panama Canal. Uh, that portion of the of the the war we had coming mm-hmm. and came to the University of Memphis and uh, I was there and I think this was would have been in 1952 probably uh, when he uh, came back this is where I met him uh, he had gone to school at Messick uh, uh, prior to going into the service but he came back there be- became a Kappa Alpha uh, in the same fraternity and we uh, became closest friends just like brothers uh, over period of years and at that time his dad had a bunch of beagle hounds and uh, and and they were big uh, big uh, rabbit hunters and so we spent many of many a weekend uh, so charlie grew uh, up in memphis charlie grew up in memphis i didn't realize that mm-hmm. yeah he and grew up in memphis and then he came back there to the university he had started there before he had to go into the army mm-hmm. but he became a great friend of mine and then and then to shorten the story a, li- a little bit when they got interested in in this charlie was traveling but between several uh industrial uh, businesses in Mas- Mississippi and Arkansas, okay. and he called on them mm-hmm. and uh, made his living there, but he was traveling to Memphis, but then he, he, he moved to Helena so he'd be more convenient, and then this group uh, of several men, uh, originally si- seven, uh, got together and decided that they were interested in trying to buy that land uh, that later became um, Jackson, Point. Jackson Point. And you said, Uncle Bart, that they were members of Harden, Harden Point, Point which right. is across the river. Yeah, uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so they had their eye on it. From well, they, I mean, if you talk to uh, uh, you, 
Charlie or Ernie or any of those. Ernie's Charlie's son, right? Who's still in the club? Um, they'll tell you that and we're going to do that. We're going to go down there. And talk I know. To well, Ernie can tell you a whole lot more than we can because he grew up in the middle of it. But they used to go over there and hunt. Uh, uh, on Island 64, even though, you know, I, I don't know the connection and all that. <laughs> now, they weren't poaching. There are some poaching stories, though, that, that, that I'm you sure. can probably find down there. Well, from what we heard from Dudley and we've heard from others, this was one of the few places in the country in the 60s and 70s that had turkeys. Yeah. And so, you know, people always say, if you're not hunting your turkeys, somebody, somebody else is. is. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, so so they, they had their eye on it, and it was seven of them. You said yes, and and how did they get from seven to a hundred? Well, of course, the the seven are created the organization, and they sold a uh, hundred uh, shares mm-hmm. uh, to various people that were interested in getting it. And this is the way that they uh, came up with their original uh, revenue, and probably had. Uh, some some mortgage from the timber mm-hmm. company until they got it paid for, but those seven uh, were were the ones that uh, started the sale of it mm-hmm. to, to various other people, and that's how I got uh, involved in it. So was, Charlie called you and said you need to buy a membership. Yes. How much was it? It, it my memory tells me it was thirty two thousand dollars. Okay, that's the number I remembered. I I thought it was in the low thirties. And that was in nineteen what, eighty, early eighties. Sounds sounds about right. Best Best Dudley could tell us it was it. They stopped hunting there about between eighty two and eighty six. I, I was gonna say eighty two, eighty three, maybe. Yeah. Um, this group of seven men were already in an organization that was on the Mississippi side, mm-hmm. and they would travel ac- across the river and hunt that land sometimes. In 19, so let's just call it 1984, uh, how much was $32,000? How much did that feel like? Well, uh, <laughs> with four kids at home and me trying to work on a master's degree at the university and trying to get a bigger house after I had gotten out of the, out of the military, and uh, it sounded like a million and a half dollars. <laughs> <laughs> when did y'all move here? Because you built this house, right? Yes, we we built this house in, in not about approximately 1960. Okay, okay, and Lakewood Hills was new at that time. Fairly new. There was partial development, but 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 not complete. Mm-hmm. And so you were adding on to this house at the time. Is that what you mean by in the early 80s? You no. said you were trying to get a bigger house. Where no, that was when we moved from. Autumn, Autumn to here to here, I and got it was you. probably a little later than that, Dad. Yeah, but probably mid mid sixties. That's what I said, nineteen sixty six. Oh, okay, okay. That, that I probably started okay. the building That's of this right. house right here. Okay, yeah. so in nineteen eighty, let's just call it eighty three. Y'all were pretty well all grown because I was born in eighty two, but that still had to feel like a gazillion dollars. Yeah, I mean, how'd you do it? Well. Uh, <laughs> Against my best judgment, um, I uh, had originally uh, was employed by uh, uh, IBM. I was originally enjoyed when I got out of I, out of college with IBM yeah. and, and went to 
went to work for them in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And from there, I had an obligation in the U.S. Air Force mm -hmm. uh, for five years, two years active duty, and and, uh, and, and the others to follow. And um, so... Uh, I went on into the military, but still had my job with with uh, with IBM, and uh, they wanted us back, or wanted me back. And uh, every Christmas and every birthday, I got a gift from them, and we were looking. <laughs> and but as we got close to the end of 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 the obligation of active duty, uh, we had uh, we had children. And we just uh, decided that IBM stood for I've been moved. <laughs> and, and we decided that we didn't really want to move every two to three or four years. Mm -hmm, sure. And so I resigned that and came back to Memphis. And uh, uh, we ended up buying uh, a, a business, Hollywood Furniture and Hardware Company, mm -hmm. which was owned by my, my wife's father. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's how we got back here. And that's, the, that's who I'm named after. Right, Mr. Sanford. Spencer. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that was his middle name. Right. Roy, cool. Spencer. Roy Spencer. Roy Spencer, yeah. 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 Had a sporting goods store. Mm -hmm. at, well, not a sporting goods store, a Hard furniture and hardware store. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he did sell guns well, said, uh, and shotgun shells and, and, and yeah. all the rest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all of it. Yeah. Um, so when you bought into Jackson Point, what was your what was your thought process? Well, I was I, let me interject something here. When I I was a young married guy then and I was looking for a, a, a place to hunt. I mean, we had our farm, mm -hmm. but there weren't any turkeys up there, and, and that really there was no deer. deer. That's right. That's right. We'd get excited about seeing deer right. tracks up there. Um, but anyway, uh, I can remember uh, uh, calling Charlie uh, and saying, Charlie, if there ever comes an opportunity to get in a hunting club that, you know, mm -hmm. really would – would might be interested, you know, uh, me and dad and whatever. I don't even know if dad knows that I called him, <laughs> but, um, you it, hunted a bunch back then and you were traveling uh, and I mean, you'd gone out to Colorado oh, yeah. and out West. Yeah. And, yeah. Too much. <laughs> yeah. Cause there wasn't a lot of great hunting around here. No, I mean, you, you had no, to, you had to, no, not like people forget that. No, that yeah, in, that's in right. my lifetime, just, their deer have, have just become never knew plentiful. it. Yeah. yeah there mean, was no deer in anywhere in Harley in West Tennessee other than probably around Shelby Forest and up down the river right. bottoms on up wow, in Tennessee. Right. But I remember calling Charlie and I said, if anything, he said, well, we're members at Harden Point and so forth and so on. Well, a few years after that is when he, dad got the phone call, um, that, that they were putting this thing together at Jackson Point. Now, Dad, you can take it from there. But I don't know if Dad even knows that I called Charlie. <laughs> and I, I can tell you, if he'd have told me, yeah, we got memberships that are $32,000, I said, well, you know, I'm going to keep Call putting, me if you find I'm one cheaper. I'm going to keep deer tracks up in Jackson, Tennessee. <laughs> well, it, it was tough, and, and it uh, kind of exemplifies how dumb we be are sometimes when we're so gung-ho on hunting that we don't use our, our common sense to, to, to not overdo. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so the siblings had they had moved down to Helena and uh, of course with Marilyn and I we were traveling back and forth because we were really close friends and mm -hmm. one thing left to another and, and, and then I went with him down to Jackson Point before you got involved it, oh yeah before we were involved period so I went down there and that's when the original uh, uh, portion of the land down there was mm -hmm. was going to be purchased by them 
And uh, I was impressed. And so I stretched out uh, for the $32,000. And uh, uh, Now, your first membership was what number? 99. All right, so tell that story. When we were getting started, you were explaining how the 100 memberships worked. And first time Charlie called you, he was asking you to buy number six? No. no. Oh. He was just wanting Dad to oh, get involved. Okay. There was 107 memberships. Okay. The seven, the 107 comes from the seven, seven original. Plus the 100. And then they sold 100 memberships or shares or whatever besides that. Now, go ahead, Dad. The, the seven got, got a free membership. Okay. The sure. seven that that originally started it yep. and put it in. And, and then the 100 was sold beyond that. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, every so often well, Sibley would call me up and say, Burl, we're selling all these memberships. You better go ahead and get one. <laughs> and and I, I'd put off and put off, as I said, with, with kids and a need for a house and a job and everything else. But at any rate, I finally took the dive and, uh, and bought uh, one share. Number 99 out of 100 that they <laughs> sold, there were seven got free. Yeah. The ones, the seven right. put well, it together. They, they paid for it in sweat equity, I can yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah, but they 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 didn't have to pay for theirs. Sure. But, uh, so I was in on that part of it. And you want to know how I got the other six? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, certainly Bart was coming along, and he was interested in hunting. And naturally, I was... Uh, uh, upset to some degree that i had had to put the thing in my name on the, on the 99 but wanted him to have a part in mm-hmm. that and then one of the original seven um dr whaley dr whaley decided he didn't want to go any further with it and so he put his his uh his uh, number six was of the seven was what that he had uh, he put it for sale and uh, Scooter Gabby, Charlie Sibley, and one or two other people just kept beating on me and saying, you need to buy that so far it'll have a place to go hunting. Yeah. And uh, so I, I finally, naturally, he made a, a big profit on it, but uh, I ended up buying that one. And, yeah. And uh, I think it was $50,000 at that time. Yeah. And, and so, How did the... The, explain how the memberships work from a hunting standpoint. I understand what Pop means by you having a place to hunt, but the, from the early days, Jackson Point has tried to raise grow big deer. Right, big buck program. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the each member, right, only kills one, one big buck. buck, and and you know they went and got real great help, like mm-hmm. from University of well Mississippi State, and I don't know who all else. Um, to uh, to develop a really good uh, big buck program. They already had big bucks, mm-hmm. but there was too many deer. And, and of the first few years, you just shot anything mm-hmm. because they wanted to get a good mm-hmm. feel base, for what yeah. – that's right. And uh, But since then, that program has developed. So what that, po- that membership that he owned from – because he was one of the seven that started, uh, that was number six. Mm-hmm. And so when I bought it, I have ninety number ninety nine and number six. Right, and so what Pop is saying is that you know the membership was in his name, so he's the only one that could shoot That's a right. buck. Right, so he bought uh, a second membership so yeah. that Bart could shoot a could buck. Could shoot his, and and then through the years he spread that. They've made it possible where you can you can put your buck privilege in somebody else's name. That's right. That's right. Okay. So right. so Dad killed one. 
Will Bart's son is killed, but it's a only one I mean, year a, under that. Only one per year, or one one per, big buck, one big buck, one per big year. buck per buck. Well, wow. what you got to realize also, even though my grandfather's farm at Jackson, Tennessee, that, that there weren't any deer there, right, to, to amount to anything, and so uh, uh, did get Bart down there, and we had a camper, <laughs> pop up camper, an Apache, uh, uh, pull at, behind pop up at camper. Jackson Point. Yes, sir. That was the first camp house. That's where we stayed. When we <laughs> that was it. We, we pulled that that camper up there in front of it, and then we put a tarp over from that one to the other. So when it rained, we could get to the vehicle without getting wet. Have <laughs> <laughs> a little courtyard out there. I like yeah. it. And the uh, the group had, had put in a well, and so we had a place to get some water. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, that was the start of it. Uh, it was roughing it, but who cares if you go on hunting? Yeah. You know, we, we don't worry about that. Yeah. And so we just uh, thoroughly uh, got wrapped up in it. And, uh, of course, we had fishing also mm-hmm. uh, in there. But um, The fishing was, is world class yeah. it's Looks as like good it. as it's mm-hmm. as good as anything i've ever experienced mm-hmm. uh, I, I would take spence uh, and, and and another one or two of of the uh, grandchildren down mm-hmm. there and uh they were little and, and spence for example and uh, was they had these huge brim and uh, I mean, they were big. bigger than you could hold. I mean, yeah, as big of a brim as an adult man can hold with his hand. I mean, just jet Good black. Grief. They were unbelievable. And they were young enough. We trished on <laughs> fished in the trees that were in the water on each side of of, of the of the, of the ro- river coming through there. Markham Lake. Yeah. And yeah. and so what I would do was uh, I would pitch the. the 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 rod out and with a float on it and mm-hmm. when when that big old brim would hit that thing <laughs> then I'd hand Spence uh, the rod That's and here fun. we'd go man and I tell you what it it was uh, it was exciting for a little guy wasn't it at that time absolutely that'd be exciting for a big guy I mean, that's that's so fun yeah and pound we were, for pound those big brim pull oh, fight harder man. than any other species of fish unbelievable yeah. And, yeah. and eat good. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, people talk about brim fishing, but my earliest memories of brim fishing were if you could, if it wasn't big enough to put a fillet knife to it, <laughs> you're throwing it back. That's, That's right. right. We weren't scaling brim. Right. You showed me some of those pictures. They're huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the cat and the uh, the crappie and the catfish yeah. were the same mm-hmm. way. Like wheelbarrow tires. Right. And we did we did yo-yos yeah. a bunch. I mean, yeah. that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Wintertime yo-yos was this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the deer hunting was great. You killed a turkey down there early on, right? Yeah. Well, that that's another story. Let, let's let's take another story first. <laughs> okay. About okay. Bart when he killed his first deer down there. Can you spell that out? <laughs> well, I mean, I was as a as a young man uh, at Jackson Point. It was like died and gone to heaven, right? Just to be hunting down right. there. And, uh, you know, the, the, the club was really what – these guys, the original seven, had been involved in a number of clubs, and they knew how to set everything up so mm-hmm. that it would be something that would be generations to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got all the rules and so forth as that. And rules – a lot of people don't like rules when it mm-hmm. comes to hunting, but, you know, when you've got 107 memberships, you better you have some have rules. rules. Yeah. First thing they no did doubt. was they go in and they, they basically kind of surveyed where the 
campground area was, which is no longer really a campground because there's some homes down there now <laughs> that are as nice as the one I live in sure. every day. But uh, in, in the area we stayed in with our little camper, uh, some of the guys that were from, from that area went in and built buildings. Uh, but you know, they had they even designated an area for campers and stuff like that. And then the whole thing was laid out kind of like a subdivision. Mm-hmm. I mean, with roads, with roads. and, and it, so forth. But that. it was all in one spot. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it wasn't spread out over yeah, You the, couldn't just go there. in and throw a tent up anywhere you wanted <laughs> That's to. That's right, I imagine. It was all from one spot. Okay. Yeah, and the roads were not just roads either. Oh. They had 20 to 30-foot right-of-ways on both sides of the yeah. roads. And so – Boy, my—I mean, before anybody that I ever heard of or read in a magazine was planting food plots, were, every road had turnips down mm-hmm, the side of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 we'd come back in the fall fishing. I mean, we'd take a garbage sack and fill it. I mean, the really? bed of a truck up with turnips. Yeah, they were unbelievable. Oh yeah, huge turnips. Yeah, that's really cool. But, but um, you know, it was all laid out. You could only have a certain every every member could only have two stands. There's only two stands allowed, and you, you know, once you got a spot for a stand, then you had to. That was your spot. You couldn't pick up the next day and go move. You know, did did they do this seasonally, or did you get an assignment of a a, st- a stand for perpetuity? I mean, was it, or was it every year you picked your stand? No, you, you once you got a spot, that was your spot. I mean, you could choose to move that spot, but, but you, it had but to fall within the rules. You like had to you go had to the deer committee. There was a committee of, of the deer committee, and Imagine. you had to say, I want to put a stand over here on Johnny Vault Road. Yeah. And and if there was somebody that was already over in that area. Distance right, because they have to make stand. like from a safety standpoint. That's exactly hunting, right. And, okay, That's yeah. exactly right. Wow. And, and so, cool. you know, um, one of the stands we've got, we've probably had for – long as i can remember <laughs> oh yeah uh, there's a couple of them actually uh, but once you got that spot then then that was your spot and you couldn't just pick up and say i'm gonna move over here because there's more sign over there because you had to go before the deer committee so mm-hmm. a lot of people some people didn't care for all that you know control but sure. you got to you know you know you know how hunters are oh yeah and uh and if you're trying to raise and manage for big deer you got to have those rules. Well, right. it, it normalized access yeah. for everybody. Right. But it also normalized – there were a lot of guys that lived down there in West Helena, right. Elaine, farmers that were there all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they they did as good a job as any club I've ever seen of making it so that a guy from Memphis who only could come down there five, six times a year, you know, had an equal playing field with guys who were – 20 miles from it you know yeah. well and originally the they could only have i don't remember how many it was there could only be a certain number of members no more than a certain number of members from those counties right there around uh oh, really? county and phillips county um uh it could only be a certain number and that way because if you had 100 members from <laughs> helen arkansas charlie didn't well, want to share it with his yeah. neighbors it was something like I, I believe it, was, that. it was something like a third and it's, yeah. it, it basically is still that way i think now but uh, it's it's been a, a great uh, situation where mem- the membership has always respected the other members, mm-hmm. and so stands weren't put in the right of the way of, of somebody else sure. or this that and the other and 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 so forth. And so it was it was a it's it's been an extremely well organization ever since that. It's uh, financially done done reasonably well. 
and the, the people that uh, were in it then and the ones that are in there today respect the other people. All of the houses are built in one area. They're not scattered all over the land that, uh, that we have, which helps uh, a lot and leaves all the rest of it uh, for actually for hunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how big is this piece that we're looking at here? The island itself, I think, uh, I believe it's about 6,000 acres. There's 6,000 on the island, and, and then uh, the old uh, Island 64 Club up on the north side uh, is about 4,000 acres. Okay. I was thinking it was right at 10,000. Well, that's all together. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, right, I mean, right, right. A lot of people don't even know Island 64 used to be a hunting club itself. <laughs> um, it, was a, it was a deer hunting club mm-hmm. for, for the most part, and uh, Jackson Point was, was, for the most part, a turkey hunting club, mm-hmm. um, even though there was deer there, obviously, but that's mm-hmm. kind of the way it was formed. Um, but, um, and, and then, and then, um, uh, we've got members that actually farm that some of the land that you drive through to get to Jackson point and we have access to that too. Um, <laughs> so, um, there's, I mean, there's plenty of, plenty of room. Mm-hmm. So, 107 membership sounds, sounds like a big. lot, yep. but you know, when you talk about 10,000 acres plus, that's a lot of, that's a lot of area. Yeah. And it's a almost all timber. I mean, it's all oh, yeah. stuff that's been yeah, timbered. That's it's right. not, it's not 800 acre ag fields you know <laughs> well what no the, it's and, like what it used, was all this probably used to look like before they probably cut it probably. and farmed it it's what's amazing. really interesting is that the the prairie area which is huge is this area right here mm-hmm. and i mean there's some trees growing out there but that apparently just naturally is, it's just like super sandy and yeah i mean it's a it just yeah. looks like a prairie and there's that's it's never been bulldozed or anything but it's literally it looks like the kansas mm-hmm. it's like little shrubby mm-hmm. you know boat looking trees and, yep. and sage grass and then you get off on the edges of it and it just turns into back into bottomwood hardwood uh-huh. bottomwood hardwoods yep. but that that area actually ha- has had a few a few planes to land in there mm-hmm. yeah, we have an airstrip out there <laughs> on the prairie um, and there have been some pretty notable members, right? I mean, Sheffield Nelson. Sheffield Nelson. Is, he would fly. He lit, you know, Little Rock is uh-huh. one first governor of Arkansas, and he's he flies down there. He did. I don't know now. Several but. several different commissioners through the years mm-hmm. of, of Arkansas Game mm-hmm. of Fish. Um, so it, it's a really neat place. Talk about squirrel hunting down there because squirrel hunting was a big deal. I mean, I remember going down there and shooting a whole bunch of squirrels. Well, there are no gray squirrels down there. It's all fox squirrels it's and black squirrels. Black squirrels and fox squirrels, <laughs> and and you know it's like it's those fox squirrels down there. Most of them have a gray nose, mm-hmm. uh, and they it's like hunting. It's, you look up in the tree, and they're so big, you think it's a cat up there. <laughs> right. uh, and uh, there's a lot of wild pecans down there. Sure, if you can find an area where there's wild pecans, pecan, wild pecan trees. Man, that's where the squirrels. Well, this is this is different too because all that I. Uh, had ever hunted with squirrels at, at my granddad's farm at Jackson, Tennessee. And, uh, and so when I got down there and saw those big old fox squirrels, boy, they were huge. <laughs> and uh, I, had one, I had one deficiency that nobody else ever has had. But my, uh, uh, the, the twenty two rifle, which is what the limits of, of what I had, even at the farm, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, up there especially and it had owned was owned jointly by my father and his brother and uh, they were to share that 22 up there and they loaned it to somebody 
and uh, he, he was trying to clean the the the, the uh, barrel, mm-hmm. and as a result, he got stuck in there, and he tried to shoot it out. <laughs> And as a result, this 22 did not shoot real accurately. You had to figure out how far to the right and how far underneath. You had to aim it in order to hit the squirrel. But I learned how to do that, and I still own that rifle today. That's great. That's great. Uh, Those guys ate those squirrels. That was not squirrel hunting for sport. Yeah, I know. If you've only only ever seen gray squirrels like in your yard, and you go down there and you see a big old black squirrel up in the tree, you're going, whoa, wait a minute, what is this thing? And it's, it's, I mean, it's still, when I go down there and see a black squirrel running through the tree, it's like, this is really cool. What, describe, describe Charlie Sibley's uh, squirrel and dumplings. Well, how how, how, how do we start? (laughs) Why don't you... (laughs) Did Charlie always make the squirrel and dumplings, or did somebody else make them? Well, we had rabbit dumpling and everything else, too. And and so um, we would fry the squirrels first Mm. and and the rabbits and so forth, too. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the humorous things that I got ribbed about at one time, especially when we got into the rabbit hunting and so forth, was that there was a place outside of, of of the little building that we had and another building there and and I forget how many rabbits that we'd killed that morning, but uh, golly, it must have been twenty or so, and uh, Charlie Sibley and them said, "Now we'll skin them, and you take them down to to." to uh, uh, to Kelly Green, another friend that was there, and, and and he can cut them up. Well, you know, I I got I was the carrier between the two areas, and uh, they could skin them a lot faster. And I heard them <laughs> laughing down there, and and I'd come back and and I'd take some more down there, and I'd hear them laughing down there. And they, I said, "What's so so funny?" They they said, "How many has ha, have you uh, cut out we have for the meat?" I said, "We they still on the first one." <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was just a lot of fun. Every rabbit hunting down there. was always good down there too. Oh I man, mean, the swamp rabbits mm-hmm. here again. It's kind of like the black squirrels. Bigger if you've never seen a swamp rabbit, you'll think you're you know it's a dinosaur, <laughs> literally, because they're so big. Yeah. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite memories down there of a rabbit hunt, um, is one year the river was up mm-hmm. and of course, you know, the, the, the club, one of the way that the I'll pull over here, and chase a rabbit for just a minute. One of the way the club helps sustain itself is the timber cutting program. Mm-hmm. They have a very organized timber cutting program to where that provides additional revenue for the club and they don't go in and just clear cut. It's very selective and they've been doing that since the get go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but as a result of having the timber cutting program, you got some huge brush piles down there. <laughs> and I, I can bet. remember one year the river was up and of course the rabbits were all pushed up into those brush piles and we'd get around those. We, we'd go down Hampton Lake road and, uh, uh, there'd be a brush pile and we'd all get around that brush pile and send the dogs in. And, and it was, you know, it was like, like a covey of quail getting up. Yeah. And, uh, and all the game was pushed up on the ridge. Yeah. And we, uh, 
we were we killed we were killing so many of those big swamp rabbits, and they're pretty. I mean, you couldn't you carry couldn't them. Carry them. You, they couldn't carry them. <laughs> so Charlie said, "I'll oh, just hang them on that tree up there by the road, and we'll pick them all up later." And we've got pictures. Of, I was going to say, I remember seeing a picture of those uh, down down a long road. Of if you can imagine, a, if down. you can imagine a, a, a Christmas tree <laughs> decorated with rabbits, that's what, <laughs> what some of them would look like because there'd be so oh, many of those big swamp rabbits. And I think that that in two days we killed 55 maybe swamp rabbits and uh, of course you gotta also understand that the Sibleys had some of the best rabbit dogs Mm -hmm. around in fact Ernie Sibley is still training and and field trial and and wins some championships really um yeah um he's got some great rabbit dogs but Charlie he get he came by that natural because Charlie always had some Mm -hmm. great ones but uh that was a great trip and 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 I mean I tell you how big those swamp rabbits are have you ever heard of filleting a, a rabbit? Uh-uh. We got to where there were so many rabbits, we weren't just skinning them oh, and, and cutting them up in quarters. Mm-hmm. We were literally filleting the meat off the hind off quarters. The never heard of rabbits. I mean, they, those rabbits had back straps. Yeah, yeah I'm serious. That's And that's where carrying, where I got kidded. About carrying those big old rabbits from yeah. one place to yeah. the other, so they can. As you weren't carrying more than two out. at a time, no, either. either. But, but there's another there's another facet of rabbit hunting that most people probably never have known. But Sibley, with with all the uh, experience he had, he had an angle to just not let any of the rabbits get away. And what would happen? The dogs would run them, mm-hmm. and and they'd probably run them in uh, eventually into a hollow tree, mm-hmm. and uh, or log. And that and and the dogs basically were were barking, 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 and here's this hollow tree, and uh, he he taught me, and I learned later to to do it. To the rabbit could only go up so high inside that tree, mm-hmm. and if if you could lay on the ground and reach your arm up in that hollow spot on that. You just up, grab up it. That tree, you could feel where the rabbit's hind legs were, <laughs> and from there you just, just jerked him out. right out of there, you know. And uh, <laughs> and I've never I, heard of I such know a thing. you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Let me tell you, I carried it on in the military. I had a friend that, that uh, had never been rabbit hunting, and I had two little bitty old beagles. They never were any good, but uh, that, that was. What I had, and so uh, th- this fellow was f- from up in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and he said, "I want to go rabbit hunting with you." Okay, well, we went to rabbit hunting. There weren't many trees uh, in some of those Middle Tennessee areas uh, that would have hollow trees, right? But there were a lot of, the of flooding in the bottoms would make those trees hollow. Th- mm. There, there were there were a lot of of rocks big Mm -hmm. slabs of 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 rocks uh there on the ground and the dogs would run them in under those rocks right between where there were two big rocks and one day one day i took this this guy up there rabbit hunting and and a rabbit ran in underneath one of those uh, big old rocks and so i laid down on the ground and and i put my arm up as far as i could reach and of course you didn't have to worry about the rabbit turning around biting you 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 just felt where his legs were (laughs) and i came out of there i came out of there and 
pull that rabbit out of there and whammo to his head hit the top of that slab of rock. And I'll tell you, that, that friend of mine from up in Kentucky, he, he, he laughed for the rest of our tour, I think, in the Air Force about how funny that, how funny that was. But, Noodling for rabbits. Yeah, that's, right. yeah. that's exactly that's right. That's unbelievable. Now, when um, what I'm trying to remember about squirrel and dumplings was, was Charlie put everything in there in the pot. Right, I don't know. I was never in on the preparation but, end. I was always on the eating end. But but he but I just remember when he was eating, he was always eating uh, the brains. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wasn't that his thing? Uh, he yeah. he'd tell, How would he do that? I, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> the story I remember was that he that the whole skull would be in there, and he'd pop it with a back, back of side a of a spoon, yeah. and it would crack open, and he'd and he'd scoop the brains out and eat them with a spoon. Eat it like, like a softball egg. Was that a story that I just remember, or oh, did he I think do that? I think that's probably accurate. <laughs> Knowing Charlie Sibley, that probably was accurate. Well, you got to also understand that this is the greatest generation. That's right. But it's the greatest generation because they didn't waste, they didn't waste anything. anything. And if you killed a rabbit, it's probably because you couldn't get anything at the grocery store, especially back during the hmm. Depression and years following that during the war. And so if you killed a squirrel, you know, the only thing that's going to be left was the hide and the and the bones, <laughs> and, or a rabbit, or whatever, mm-hmm. for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's kind of like um, uh, people call fish eggs caviar. <laughs> I can remember my grandfather ate, I mean, he'd save the fish eggs out of when every... When he was cleaning fish. That's right. And, and you were going to eat fish eggs. That was part <laughs> of the fish dinner. And, uh, and nobody hardly probably does that anymore, but that's where I got to think that a lot of that came from, is sure. they just didn't waste anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what they had. Well, I'll tell you another thing about the, the squirrel hunting while we're here at this point, and so maybe squirrel hunters today can learn something from my uh, explaining this. But so many people try to clean a squirrel by cutting it in the middle mm-hmm. and pulling both ways, both ways to skin it. Mm-hmm. But you see. Uh, the Sibleys had had learned in, in all of their hunting uh, a better way than that. You just cut up under the tail, mm-hmm. and you take the two hind legs, and you put your foot on the, uh, the tail, and you just, just roll it. You, you just t- roll mm-hmm. the squirrel up, and it'll skin him all the way up to his mm-hmm. to his neck and his head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. keeps all the hair off of that's him right. too. Yeah, it that's right. Yeah, right. There, there, there's yeah. the hair falls off yeah. of so yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah, you just roll it, just pull <laughs> up like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good trick. Yeah. What about? Didn't Charlie call you up a turkey? There. Yeah, he did. I remember there's a video of that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, before that, let me t- let me get Bart to tell you about his <laughs> the first deer that he killed. Okay. Uh, you, you don't remember that? Oh, I remember. I remember, you know, shooting the deer and couldn't find it, and we had to get somebody to go track it down. And um, I had hit it good, but just had hit it high. A and, buck? Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. And, um, um, I mean, the best deer I ever killed, even to this day. <laughs> Um, or one of the best deers even to this day. But, uh, but yeah, I just remember how excited I was and <laughs> just thank God that I had a dad yeah. that put me in a yeah. place where I could have that yeah. kind of experience. That deer's on the wall at the store. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Well, yeah. I, after I was, I was uh, hunting somewhere else, you know, you know away mm-hmm. from, from Bart. But, anyway, when I came in, it was probably close to lunchtime, 
and uh, I, I I didn't really know exactly where where Bart was was going to be hunting, but I got inside and I found this great note that I will never forget. <laughs> it told me that uh, you're the greatest dad in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I shot a I shot a buck today, and uh, it's, it's so big I have to had to go and try to find somebody to help me get him out. <laughs> but he said, "I just want you to know that you you, you not only had me a gun, but you killed uh, you killed a buck uh, the first time or two that you were out." And you thought that I was the greatest dad that had ever come around. And uh, I saved that note for a long time. I don't know exactly where it is now, but uh, that really, really made me feel good. Yeah, <laughs> I got lost in the flood. <laughs> That's true, because it has flooded a couple times. But, you know, what you're talking about there, Pop, is really special because every one of us at some point in our life have an opportunity to make a sacrifice for the ones that are coming behind us, mm-hmm. whether it be the house that we buy and build or whether it be the business that we invest in or at some way. And, and I mean, my whole life has been shaped by those sacrifices that you've made, not only at Jackson point, but I mean, I think about the farm at Jackson Mm -hmm. and, and we hadn't even talked about that. That's a whole awesome story to tell, but Mm -hmm. there's no way that, that when you had to buy that farm at Jackson or when you bought into Jackson point that you just, I mean, you're not an ultra wealthy guy that's got just extra money laying around everywhere. I mean, but you made sacrifices because of relationships and connections and the ability to raise the next generation. And I mean, that that's what y'all are. That's the story, right? Well, the great thing is it's building a legacy. Right. And that's, that's a missing art in the culture we live in Mm -hmm. now, uh, because everybody's always interested in the here and now Mm -hmm. and they don't think about, you know, I mean, they may think about their kids, but you're talking about generations now. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like, Charlie Sibley and all them. I mean, they're, you know, they've got grandkids down there. Mm-hmm. Charlie's long gone, uh, but Jackson Point is well established mm-hmm. now, and for generations, mm-hmm. they'll enjoy someplace like Jackson Point mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. sacrifices that that original seven made. That's right. And and reached out to guys like my dad mm-hmm. and the sacrifices he made. Mm-hmm. And um, here again, I call it the greatest generation because that generation still knew about making sacrifices yep. for the that, generations that were coming. And that. And that note from my son about that first deer, that I was a great dad. I had bought him a membership. I had gotten him a gun, and he had killed a deer. And, man, how <laughs> happy he was. And I saved that note a long time. It's probably stuck somewhere, but uh, that, made it all, that made those loans all worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> That's really special. Yeah. So while we're while we're here and talking about sacrifice, I'd like to get you to tell real quick the story, or as long as you want, the story yeah. about the farm at Jackson. Because we've got a, you you've got a farm in Jackson, Tennessee, that was your grandfather's. Correct. Right. And his name was Burl uh, uh, Burl Bartley. What what was his name? Papa Gary's name. James. James Harvey Gary. James okay. Harvey yeah. Gary. Yeah. And what do you want me to tell about it? Well, um, so he went, I mean, when you were a little boy, you rode the train up there. Yes. Your, your parents put you on a train. From right Memphis up there in to, the, uh-huh. so cool. And, and, and you'd get off the train and you'd walk to the farm 
Yeah, that we to help were, work on the farm. Where the track ran, they had to stop, and it was two miles away. And uh, uh, so I would get off there when at the little stop, Neely Station. station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and walk the rest of the way in, and I could. And one day, one day I actually rode on into the to the to to, to the, the deal at, yeah. at at Jackson, and I had I had my backpack. And and a sack of stuff and my rifle, and I walked seven miles. Cause you'd missed your stop. From, from, <laughs> I, I, I never I heard walked, that one. <laughs> I walked seven miles carrying my pack and that gun all the way out on a gravel road to Papa Gary's uh, um, farm. Yeah. How, how old were you when you did this? I don't remember, but it it wasn't very old. Mm. Um and. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never heard that story yeah. either. Yeah. And so your dad grew up there in that farm. Yes. Right? And um, um, the story that I want you to tell is, so in the Great Depression, Papa Gary lost that farm. Yeah. He, yeah, he had, he. Um, um, of course, this is well before my time. That's sure. when, my, my, when my dad was younger. Mm-hmm. But uh, at any rate, uh, Papa had had uh, this would have probably been in nineteen fifteen to nineteen twenty. Okay, uh, he he had it mortgaged through the government uh, uh, financing mm-hmm. program, and of course worked extremely hard to try to pay the make the payments on it, and um, I. Uh, do know I used to spend my summers up there because to I could get work. away with things I, I couldn't get away with at home. <laughs> but uh, but they probably also needed your help. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't have a whole bunch of fancy tractors. No. He didn't have a, he didn't have a tractor, uh-huh. <laughs> and so as a, as a kid, uh, I, I learned to break ground with, with a mule, mm. and uh, and and this that and the other. But at any rate, what he what he's want me to tell you is that. It got to where he just couldn't pay the payments, and so they moved out and they moved up at what they call East Union, which mm-hmm. was outside of Jackson on the other side, and rented a place there. Mm-hmm. And uh, within two to three years, a lady at the at the mortgage company called him up and said, "Mr. Gary, that other guy couldn't pay the payments either." said move back out there work hard and pay what you can and that's wow. what he did he, he 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 went back there and worked his balls off to, <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> that, that gives you chills though no you know, really does. Think about it. every time i go up there i think about that i think about the fact that uh that he failed mm-hmm. and couldn't make his payments he gave it back to the bank mm-hmm. and you know moved into government housing i mean into into an apartment and rented and and the bank came and said, "Pay what you can when Gave you can." Gave him a second chance, and he and he pinned his ears back and made it work. Unbelievable! I mean, failure doesn't have to define you, you know. Well, he, he did so much stuff that, to try to make the ends meet, and everybody worked. Uh, there, uh, he had two sons and two daughters, mm-hmm. but everybody worked on the farm mm-hmm. and uh, a few sharecroppers. But uh, at, at any rate, he had. Uh, he had gotten him some dairy, a few dairy cattle, mm-hmm. and then uh, milk didn't have to be processed a certain way before you could sell it. 
That's right. And to help out his uh, his cotton or, or, uh, uh, cotton uh, farming, farming, cotton, corn, whatever farming. Yeah. He he worked him up around in the city of people that wanted to buy uh, milk. Yeah. And um, so many a morning uh, he was up and milked his milked these cows by he, hand. He had a number of uh, uh, people that had agreed to buy the milk, mm-hmm. and then they'd and he, run a milk route. And yeah. he had some little, he had some little squares which I still have, in which these people would buy that, and they would put it on their porch, and it'd say one quart of milk or buttermilk or whatever it How was. How much they wanted. And so they they would buy those, and then he knew where to drop off the milk, mm-hmm. and then he would come back back to home. And eat his breakfast, and head to the farm, head to to, to, to the field, mm. and so I tell you that hard hard work. So Granddaddy Gary grew up there. Yes. How, how did he get to Memphis? He he, Firestone opened a plant here in Memphis, and uh, 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 my dad got on at the Firestone plant here mm-hmm. here in Memphis and worked for them until he retired. Did uh, in North Memphis we lived on uh-huh. Breedlove Street at, at that time and um there what I mean people think today that they can't live without a TV or or, or air conditioner or, or something a car. Else. <laughs> yeah or a car and um let me tell you you can you you, you can do it and uh <laughs> Do you you have any idea what Papa Gary and Granddaddy Gary's conversation was like when he decided he was going to move to town? Not me. That couldn't have been a very pleasant conversation. I can only imagine that Papa Gary needed his help on the farm. Well, see, see that uh, I can pin the the year of that down because we when we moved to Memphis, uh, we we never owned a car and. uh, Dad could walk to work from where we lived on Breedlove Street to the Firestone plant there and walk home in, in the evening and so forth. And it uh, it, it was, uh, there were no TVs. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have a radio. Uh, I didn't know that anybody else had anything either. But we had a neighbors that lived there. They were an older couple. Their last name was Rast, and they had one of these big, uh, big uh, radio models. Mm-hmm. And when we were little kids, you know, preschool or early school at Gordon School, um, they would let us come in and sit on the floor in in front of that radio, and 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 we could hear the serials that they, you know, that they mm-hmm. had on the radio then. And, <laughs> And uh, yeah, <laughs> that was great, great fun. One of the things I always remember Pop saying was that when you didn't know that anybody else had something, it, you didn't know that you wanted it. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the things in our my generation and and my kids' generation and even in your generation, just because of television and commercials and like how that's how we've mass communicated with everybody. It's made us very discontent with what we have because we see what everybody else is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's marketing, right? Mm-hmm. You show somebody something they don't have and hope that they want to spend their money on it. But 
I always remember Pop saying that about we didn't have anything, but we didn't know that we didn't have anything because we didn't have anything right. to compare it to. <laughs> well, and but the work ethic that that generation learned, um, like his dad, uh, he passed it on again, talking about the legacy. Uh, the other son, Uncle Cecil, uh, went on to be one of the vice presidents of Nabisco in, in New York City. That's Granddaddy Gary's brother. That's correct, yeah. Uncle Cecil. And uh, and then National Biscuit Company. There you go. That's Back right. in that the day, Bisco yeah, for yeah, it. yeah. And then, of course, uh, uh, Aunt Hazel uh, moved to Selmer, and she married a, a gentleman last name of Hunley. So she was Hazel Hunley, and they had a gross their own grocery store for I don't know how many years. And then, of course, Levita, uh, the youngest daughter, Bobo, and Bobo could outshoot any man. She sure could. She could outshoot him. She could out hunt. She could skin anything you needed to skin by hand. Um, she was she was the wow. ultimate definition of a tomboy. When, when Bobo was alive, she was the first person that we called every time we killed something. That's right. I mean, she was that's incredible. So neat, and was, she lived up there at the farm and took care of Granddaddy. Well, she was a court reporter for I mean, a, a, a long time. She she married a gentleman, and they lived in Jackson, and uh, and Smitty then, Smitty. That's correct. And uh, but she chopped cotton, she picked cotton, yeah. and we oh, yeah. all did. Yeah. And you picked the cold, the poles and you put them in a big sack mm-hmm. and drug that along on your knees and picking the picking the uh, the cotton. At the end of the, of, the, of that day, you checked it into another little building that we had down there, and they weigh that. And whenever they got enough cotton, they took it to the gin. But and, uh, and Bobo was your aunt, right? yes, yes. So. When I was little and we'd go up there, Bobo was living there, but she started living there because when Smitty died, she took care of Papa Gary, mm-hmm. right? Took care of mm, She moved out to the farm. After Mama Gary died? No, no, no. But Papa Gary passed away first. He had tuberculosis. Oh, okay. And then so it was just Mama Gary living out there. And, and of course, Smitty had since died, uh, her husband, and, and then she moved out to the farm. She traveled. She traveled a, with him, with Smitty. Uh, he, he sold... Uh, building materials uh, for our company in Jackson, but mm. uh, at any rate, she she was a little lady, but she, she could she could chop cotton, she mm-hmm. could pick cotton. She, she was could a, plow. and then she, later on, I remember as being a court reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she'd travel all over the mm-hmm. South, uh, typing up court type, doing court reporting. And she and she so there was a time that her and Mama Gary lived there at the farm together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who, who worked the farm then? We had uh, Johnson. Uh, Leroy, Leroy Johnson. Leroy, Leroy Johnson was a neighbor. Uh, the Johnsons were uh-huh. a neighbor, and uh, they 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 did the farming for for parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, it shared it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Papa furnished the land and, and and the seed and all of that. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, Leroy Johnson planted it and mm-hmm. picked it and, and so forth. And Leroy Johnson is, is still living, and uh, uh, he farmed it for many years uh, for my grandmother and granddaddy. And is Lawrence his son? No. No. Lawrence Jones is just Lawrence. He's actually a relative. He's actually, I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I did. I thought he he's, was kin to, the, to Leroy. He's I, not. I'm no. not sure. I don't think so. But he's, no, no. Okay. He was kin to Mama Gary because Mama Gary was a Jones. Lawrence Jones is farming the the farm still t- today yeah. Yeah. but uh he was related uh to my grandmother hmm. and um but, but Leroy Johnson farmed it for a number of years mm-hmm. 
because there was nobody in the family mm-hmm. that could 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 do the uh, uh, the, the planning the work, and, yeah. and so forth. When do you think the deer started showing up up there in the late seventies? Uh, probably or early. 80s. I can remember I mean, carrying some of my buddies up there um, before I ever got married, and I got married in eighty one. And literally, we'd get excited about seeing deer tracks. Right. I um, mean, there would be a random sighting of a deer. Well, you know, that's a bunch of guys that are, you know, in their early 20s that yeah. like to be in the outdoors and hunt. You see a set of tracks, you know, you're going to throw a stand up. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but y'all yeah. would go up there to rabbit hunt and squirrel hunt and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'd squirrel hunt, and, and there weren't a lot of rabbits. There were a lot of rabbits up there. Okay. Um, not like they talk about they used to be, mm-hmm. but squirrel hunting was always really good. And if you if you saw a fox squirrel at that day, never been to Jackson Point, so I'd never seen a fox squirrel. There were certain areas <laughs> of the farm where there were always, if, if you could get back, the, mm-hmm. there was a couple of them, and uh, if, you, if you killed a, fox squirrel which was always about twice the size of any gray squirrel and uh then then you had a trophy so so in 1992 i killed a deer at jackson on the pine ridge Mm -hmm. and then and then that afternoon i killed a gray squirrel and a fox squirrel sitting from the same spot while my dad was taking a nap (laughs) the pine ridge is where the fox squirrels there's a great picture of me in the parking lot of the clinic at millington (laughs) holding up a gray squirrel and and a a fox fox squirrel. squirrel Sitting on top of a dove <laughs> that I shot with iron sights and a twenty gauge yeah, slug. Wow, that's wow. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, it does that in that fox world? Didn't y'all mount that? Isn't that somewhere? Oh yeah, I've got the full North American squirrel slam. Well, I was about it. to say you got yeah. the squirrel <laughs> slam, this, but this is not about me. Yeah, I've got a I've got a fox squirrel. Probably the first one I ever killed up at the farm that's mounted. I think it's in the house down at Jackson Point. I believe. Um, but but yeah, you know that's great. Like I said, you kill a fox squirrel back in that day. It was yeah. a trophy. So, so when uh, when Granddaddy Gary died, you and Aunt Jane inherited the farm. Is that how that worked? Um, yes. When my dad died, mm-hmm. uh, Dad had had uh, had had everything written out um, as to with his assets assigned mm-hmm. to so and so and so mm-hmm. and and so there was was some cash and so forth and various other things you know but uh he knew and they had already written it down that, mm-hmm. that we wanted to own the farm mm-hmm. so we paid my sister uh cash for that part of of that and and we inherited uh, mm-hmm. the I guess half of a farm at, mm-hmm. the, at that time, and uh, so we we've owned it ever since in the Gary family tra- trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what year was that that Granddaddy died? Do you remember? I right about ninety, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, like that. Well, uh, I was born in thirty two. 1932, and of course the war ended in 1945, and uh, we'd go back and forth. Uh, so I, I, I um, it, it's hard to pin down the times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I'd have to do a little digging to well, see. Well, I remember going to Jackson Point fishing with Granddaddy mm-hmm. Gary. Mm-hmm. I, I remember 
distinctly going over mm-hmm. to you know his house on Power Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, because I cut the grass over there mm-hmm. when Bobo lived there, but I remember going over there because uh, you had a boat motor over there, and I remember us picking up. You know, I grew up in this neighborhood in mm-hmm. on Homewood, just around the corner from you. And I remember you picking me up and then us going to Power Street to pick up Granddaddy Gary and get the outboard motor and going fishing. So mm-hmm. that's too good. I had to be seven or eight, yeah. nine years. I mean, I had to be old enough to where mom would let me, you know, go with you all to Jackson Point. Well, and dad dad did a lot of fishing too. My right. Da- my dad did. And uh, uh, I'm going to say that that would have probably been in the 40s. We're talking about when Granddaddy passed. Yeah. No, it would have been around, probably around 90. Well, Papa 90. Gary may have passed in the 40s, oh. but I'm talking about your dad. Probably around 90. That's probably close, around 1990. Yeah, we have all of it in the in the Bible back there. You might be an old Southern family. You've got your family true. tree recorded that's in the Bible right, back right. there. Well, that's right. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, they they uh, they lived into their 80s, yeah. most of them. And so, and Papa Gary, I can remember Papa Gary. Well, the mm-hmm. one that sure from the farm, because when I'd go up there and spend my summers up there, and I can remember seeing Papa Gary behind a mule with a plow turning sweet potatoes and walking hmm. behind picking up sweet potatoes and putting them in baskets in the garden. Wow. How old was he at that time? <sighs> well, yeah, that would have been be your great grandfather. Yes, sir. Wow, that that would have been in the sixties, probably. Yeah. I was probably eight, nine, ten years old, maybe. Um, so he was probably 80 something then maybe, um, I hope I'm half as spry as one that. Of, when it, I'm, you know, we say that it's, that gets said amongst our family all the time, Yeah, but we have been incredibly blessed to know our great grandfathers. Yeah. All of us. And grandmothers. And grandmothers. Yeah. My, I knew my great grandmothers, but I didn't know my great grandfathers. In, in my and I knew both my dad's grandfather as a child and my mother's grandfather and I wow. knew my mother's grandmother on on Grandy's side, mm-hmm. and I mean I cut all their grass. Like, That's I a lot of folks to know them. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ma- Mama Gary, the one that was at Jack on the farm at Jackson, she uh-huh. lived to be a hundred and two, hundred two, and 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 was still living on the farm. Maybe just uh, maybe just shy of a hundred and two. Yeah, but she was she lived on the farm till she Boy. went in the hospital and passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, how old are you, Pop? <laughs> Well, this is five hundred and so. <laughs> yeah, I, Noah lived to be six hundred one, didn't he? He turned ninety this year. I, I turned ninety this year. And how many great grandchildren do you have? I have, uh, well, I have eleven great grandchildren. I have ten grandchildren, and um, four children. And four children. Right. Uh, I can remember some of the things that that occurred that. That uh, I've always thought it was significant. I, we lived in, on um, Breedlove Street. I went to Gordon School and Humes High School, where Elvis went. Mm. But unfortunately for me, he was about three years or four years younger than me. I never <laughs> did get to know him, or he may have bought me a car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. But I had two. I had two two men that made a, a significant uh, 
uh, in my life. Mm. Uh, one was uh, when I was in the Boy Scouts, and this would have been in the in the uh, late forties, and Camp Courier was the uh, was was the camp, and we had a really good troop, Troop Fifty Nine, and there was another troop of ninety seven over on the south side of Memphis, and those two were the probably the best uh, Boy Scout uh, troops in existence at that time, very competitive with, with each other. But uh, the, the, the scoutmaster that, that I had worked for Firestone. He had some little kids also. But d during the, the latter part of the war, war years and so forth, waste paper and magazines was worth something. And uh, he devised a deal to where we had a little pamphlet and we'd go around the neighborhood and we would we would uh, put out these circulars. And on Saturday, Troop 59 will pick up your waste paper and magazines. And uh, we would go and, and do that. And however many of the scouts uh, worked to pick it up, he would divide the money on uh, there and put it on their account and they could use it to go to camp in the summer <laughs> or to buy a, a uniform or or, mm -hmm. or or whatever else and and uh i mean he had a family at home but but he was so interested in these these boys and 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 we you know we didn't get in it and out at 13 guys in good troops stayed till they 16 17 years old and uh, so that was a significant man and then an, another man ac williams was a, was a high school coach at humes high school and i always loved football best of all and uh, uh really wanted to play at junior high and so forth and, and so forth and and my mother didn't want me to play football. She knew I'd probably get hurt, <laughs> and uh, and and so forth. Crooked that finger. And so, <laughs> so, so, so I didn't. I didn't in, in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. I didn't play football. Uh, I did play basketball and et cetera, et cetera. But at at any rate. Uh, uh, when I was getting ready to go into the tenth grade, um, I, just to be with the football teams, I went and asked the coach if I could be one of the water boys, and uh, he said, "Sure." We'd be, I said, "I just like to be around with the team." Yeah, well, okay. Well, my dad found that out, <laughs> and I had done that. Uh, he. he one of the few times that I heard him be esteemed with my mother, he said, let the boy play football. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did play football, and A.C. Williams was the coach that I had talked to in that. And would you believe that uh, when I finally got out on the practice field, I was the second string uh, fullback that, that season and the next season I was the quarterback and we ended up uh, going to, to Knoxville and played uh, J.B. Young uh, in a bowl game. About that. That, that year. 
And and mother was right about getting um, hurt. getting hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I got my, I got my nose. You, you, if 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 you wore a helmet that had a cover on it, you were a sissy. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so we played offense and defense. That's right. You played both there ways. There weren't two teams. You play it all. And um, I managed to get uh, I managed to get first get my nose broken so bad. And uh, and and so forth, and uh, I hated to. One, one, the guy that played tackle on our team uh, was a big fellow, and he rode the bus to Humes every day with me. And I felt sorry for him because he had to go by there and tell my mother that I'd gotten my nose broke. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you say he broke it so bad one way you had to break it back the other way to straighten it out? Well, yeah, it, <laughs> I had. Uh, uh, I, I got it broken again. They said it. You can see a little bit of it there. Mm -hmm. But the doctor that fixed me said, son, if you get it broke the third time, don't come back. I can't fix you up. <laughs> and don't would you believe back. I don't have any pictures to show you, but uh, there was one picture that I think that got in one of the annuals, and I had a piece of uh, aluminum across under my eyes and across that nose and two black eyes. I was about to say, you got to have black eye from that. <laughs> but A.C. Williams, was a, I mentioned the scoutmaster, mm -hmm. and I mentioned him because he gave me a chance to play football. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always appreciated that. And, and, and uh, um, he, he pushed me to, to do it. And uh, so those two men, I, 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 I really felt good. There were other men too, but uh, those two stick out because they, they, they meant a great lot to me. That's pretty neat. <laughs> There's a million directions you can go. I hear these you. Conversations. Uh, they could chase some rabbits. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But the beagles there. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess we got to wrap up. I've got to go to a, a board meeting later on today, um, and I just can we do it again? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of what to <laughs> say to wrap up. I I'd, I'd, I would love to do it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to get Pop to tell some more stories about the store. Mm -hmm. um, I mean. We hadn't even gone there, but, I mean, Pop and, and Bart have operated a store that Pop's father-in-law operated. It's been around for almost 100 years now. Mm -hmm. um, 1924. Mm -hmm. Coming right up on it then. Yeah. Same location. Yeah. Um, and so wow. there's, there's some there's some really cool stories. And yeah. We should, we should do this again yeah, for sure. 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 Um, but I guess, Pop, I, what I want to say to you is just thank you. There's so much mm -hmm. about who I am and what I've been able to accomplish in my short lifetime that wouldn't have been possible without somebody, you know, being the breaking plow going ahead. Man. You know, you, 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 we all like to think that we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, mm -hmm. but, but so we're all standing on the shoulders of somebody that went ahead right. of us. And, uh, I try to remember that every single day Amen. that, that, you know, I didn't, I didn't mm -hmm. build this life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I'm just, well, of course, one thing one thing that kids think today, they not only don't need to own a car to go to college and things like that, they need a, a really good-looking one that's better than everything else. <laughs> I, I went all through the school. I went all through the school years w without us owning a car. Mm -hmm. I graduated from college without 
all, all in a vehicle. But that was all right. I had a lot of friends that had cars. That's right. <laughs> yeah. and, and I ended up, uh, as a result of my commitment to try to be the best that I could ever be in anything. Mm-hmm. If, it, if I didn't succeed, it would be acceptable. But I tried to be the number one. And I achieved it. I achieved it to be that quarterback on the football team. I achieved it to uh, be the president of three of my classes in college, freshman, sophomore, and senior class. And without a car, et cetera, et cetera, I was president of the fraternity. And I spent many a night sitting up on Eva Street at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning to, to, to do my studies. But I had a lot of friends that gave me right or the streetcars ran. Mm-hmm. But I ended up, and they announced it on, in, the, in, in the newspaper, that, that the president of the class, which would, would have been in, in 1950, had a four-year average of 93.5. <laughs> and Pretty strong. It, well, hard act it, to just, <laughs> it, it, it just came, it comes from hard work. And Bart and I were talking about it not long ago. You know, you, you, you just have to try to achieve the best that you can, can be to <laughs> To help people and 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 to contribute to life around you and 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 to to grow to be what you are. I, I think one of the things too that I've always appreciated, and you've reminded us of this a bunch, but you've made some really difficult decisions at pivotal points in your life that were based on priorities that you set and not based off of finances or. So at one point in your life, you left IBM. There's no telling what you'd be had, had you stayed at IBM. You, <laughs> you, you probably have been the CEO of IBM. I mean, no doubt. with as competitive <laughs> as you are, but you made a choice to raise your family in a place where your in-laws lived and where your parents lived, and you've said that, that you, it mattered more to you to be around your family and to raise your kids around your family than it did to be the most famous CEO in the country. And the same is true for Jackson Point and Jackson. Like, you, you made massive decisions based off of a set of priorities that, you know, well, you know, value systems. There was a guy at that time in IBM. It was, it was the leader in automated bookkeeping and, mm-hmm. and checking and everything else. It had three divisions at that time. It had a... Had a at a, a uh, electric typewriter division, mm-hmm. it, it, it had a time clock division that marketed mm-hmm. time clocks and factories, and then the newest one was the one which was a co- the computer, mm-hmm. uh, which had the cards with holes punched in it, which could be read by another machine, mm-hmm. and it could be made to to, to produce a document. Mm-hmm. Uh, by changing how you routed the wires in mm-hmm. it and so forth. Well, the fellow that was probably 28 to 30, uh, well, let me stop. Mr. Sanford, my, my father-in-law, 
when I got my job with IBM, I told him, he said, how much are you going to make? I said, I'm going to make $300 a month. And he said, do you realize there's people that's worked all their life and never made $300 a month? <laughs> and But it was, it was excited. This, this young man was probably 28 or, or, or maybe 29. And he was their leading grip at that time. They didn't sell anything. It was all rental. And the reason it needed to be that way because a, a collator or a punch card machine, they probably had a, by the time you got operating on it, they probably had one that ran faster. And so it, they were rented and they mm -hmm. took them back and forth. But this young man, like I say, 28 to 9, we never did know what he made. But a number of years later, I picked up the newspaper here in Memphis and, I, and there was a little article in there that this young man was elected president of IBM, and he was in your training class, right? No, he was he was their leading rep at that time. Uh -huh. Wow. Okay. And but huh. young, <laughs> you know, he he was a, yeah. Every once in a while, I think of his name, but uh, that's an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Bob. Well, you, you probably you. don't care about all that. <laughs> I, care about I do too immensely, and I think everyone listening will too. Yeah. I just, I mean, I want to know where you were when World War II ended. Yeah. I want to know, like, yeah, it's, cool we can, it's a different time, but I want to talk about all that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, so. I can tell you another farm story if you want it. <laughs> Let's hear it. Like I say, I like to spend a, a lot of the time that, that I had. Uh, at the farm because I like to go up there mm -hmm. and uh, and I, my grandfather tre treated me as an adult and as a result I learned to break ground with a mule plow and uh, I, I, I learned to to do all the other chores and he, he uh, almost got me killed a couple of times I think but <laughs> Boy, <laughs> but but it, at at any rate, it um, it it was it, it was a summer, and my granddad had his had his cultivated area, which was probably about a hundred acres, and and he would have he would have it fenced in the middle, and he'd raise cattle on one one side and he raised cotton crops on the other side and then the next year or two he'd reverse those mm -hmm. and so the cattle would fertilize Rotate, they would yeah. fertilize the ground and so forth and there was one summer and this was probably when i was in college that uh, they they had a little kind of a swampy area at one end of of, of the fields mm -hmm. that just about always held some water and the cattle could could uh, could get water there mm -hmm. and uh, on the other end they had a pump mm -hmm. so when they reversed it they still the cattle would be on that end mm -hmm. and, and and they could get water out of pumping the water in, mm -hmm. in a big bat down there 
And uh, summer came, and the cattle were, were all on the upper end, and, and the little hole that held water went dry. And they didn't know what in the world they were going to do because a cow can drink more water in in an hour than, than you could haul back and forth up there. And it was, they were just desperate. They didn't know what to do. And we needed a way to get the cattle from up there where there wasn't any water in that little... If you've hunted, mm -hmm. you know where that little right. water hole was. Yeah. We nicked the cattle down to the other end where, where there was water that could be pumped. I think this was... I believe it was when I was in, in college. But uh, it could have been a, a month or two. But but I I got a guy that worked. Uh, his father put the brick on this house, but uh, this one of his boys was a good, pretty good sized man, and I probably weighed about 190 at that time. <laughs> and um, I got him, and we went to Jackson, and we rented a post hole digger, and and we got in there. And we plowed, he was on one side of the post hole digger and I was on the other side. And, and, and we, we dug post holes all the way from that end that was dry to, down to the other fence, which was about halfway down. Mm -hmm. And so we were just, we were digging holes moved to the next one, dig holes. He was on one side and I was on the other mm -hmm. one. And they had some, they had some, uh, uh, they had locusts, I think was what they mm -hmm. used for mm -hmm. so many, Black locusts. for yep. so many fences. Fence yep. And they had some of that already laid around when they had, where they had, uh, where they had just laid it aside if they needed to fence something, you know, and so forth. And I'm telling you that in two days, we dug all those holes. We put the holes, we put the the uh, the post in. And I think in the third day, we strung the wire and got the cattle to the other end. That, that one black guy and, and me. Made a path for him to go to the yeah, water. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we we ran we we ran a, a, a like a fence, a path. A lane. Yeah, yeah, we we had a lane mm -hmm. that they could come down there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, takes some doing and some grit yeah. to make that happen mm -hmm. yeah, that quickly. No well, Pop, thank you. We love you. Well, <laughs> I'm still going. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well. I, I try not to brag, but some of the things like building that fence, they never did forget that. Mm. <laughs> the cows really didn't. Yeah, the cows didn't. <laughs> cows really appreciate it. Mama and Papa Gary didn't forget that either. Uh, that that meant a lot. Papa, <laughs> Papa, even when he was old, he had still had some cattle up there, and Buddy Keltner, you know, helped mm -hmm. him uh, bringing the cattle to market and different things like that. Mm -hmm. But the cattle would. They they would migrate down, and then in the evening they would come up to a, a fenced area, mm -hmm. uh, close to the barn where 
Bobby could throw out some some mm-hmm. boots up, and so he'd send us he'd send us down to drive the, the cattle up there close to to the barn. Mm-hmm. And um, God, by gosh, when we tried to drive the cattle, there was always one or two or three that just didn't know how to cooperate. <laughs> they'd get <laughs> off to the side, and that and, uh, Papa would stand up there, and he'd laugh, and he'd laugh, and he'd laugh. <laughs> And he'd say, how come y'all can't get those cattle up here? He'd get him about two or three ears of corn, and he'd walk down there, and he'd hold that corn uh-huh. out. And he'd get one or two of those cattle to start, and they'd just all follow him up up to the barn without him having <laughs> He'd laugh. That's incredible. But oh, me. Anyway. All right. Well, Pop, thank you so much for your time. We love you. Listen, I'm so proud of y'all. I don't, no. I, I don't have much pride myself, but I, I, to have a family the size we've got and all of y'all are A1. <laughs> None have any problem that they've gotten themselves into or this, that, or the other, and, and I just, it's just hard for me to, to realize how blessed we are. Amen. And, very and and I do my prayer time at night mm-hmm. when I get ready to go to bed, mm-hmm. when I lay down. And I, two things I do, I thank the Lord for letting me live another day. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I thank him for the family that he's blessed us with, that that many children could grow and be grown and none of them have been born with an affliction mm. uh, which to me is rare mm. very much so so I am really if I don't seem appreciative I, I, I really am there's no doubt in my mind every time we ever talk you talk you say that exact same thing yeah. and that's that's evidence of your gratitude. Mm-hmm. So well, we feel the same way about you. Well, I hope so. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, but <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up on that note. Well, I've bothered you enough. You had <laughs> not even a bit. All right. Well, on that note, we're gonna catch you on the next one. See you on the next one. <laughs>